are listening to the Issues on Appeal podcast, focusing on timely and timeless issues of appellate practice and professionalism. Here is your host, Dwayne Diker. Thanks for joining me for episode 47. I am not a cat. This show is again sponsored by Court Surety Bond Agency, the nation's leading surety agency specializing in supersedious bonds. More about CSBA later in the show. Remote oral arguments by Zoom appears to be here to stay. It's the new normal. This has definitely had an impact on the way we prepare for and conduct oral argument. Appellate specialist Chris Donovan of the Retzel and Anders Law Firm in Naples joins me again to discuss the changes in our workflows as it relates to remote oral argument. My discussion with Chris Donovan is next. So, Chris Donovan, welcome back to the Issues on Appeal podcast. Thanks. Happy to be back. You and I have done a whole series of workflows uh, type episodes. And honestly, they're some of our more popular episodes. I think people like talking about how other people work, which is kind of cool. And being at, uh, you know, Zoom and Zoom OAs have become such a big part of our life now. I've done a few. I know you've done a few because uh, we've been on some of the same <laughs> some of the same sessions, uh, I thought it was worth talking about. And, and I wanted to be clear, you know, you, you and I are both aware that other people have talked about these things, and they have come up here and there on different CLEs. And so we're, we're not going to try to uh, reinvent the wheel. But um, as you and I tend to do, we can talk a little bit more in depth about some of the things that maybe people don't always talk about some of the finer points and, and We'll mention some of the stuff that comes up over and over again, but we'll try not to dwell on it. <laughs> right. That's our promise to the audience. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a plan. You know, one thing that I've noticed, and I don't know how many different DCAs you have uh, appeared in uh, by Zoom, but it is interesting to me how different the DCAs are um, in the way they the way they set things, the way they schedule things. Like, just not too long ago, I was set for an OA in the fifth DCA, and they set it as an in-person OA, which I thought this can't this can't work. And then, like a couple of weeks later, I got a notice changing it to a, a Zoom OA. Where at the same time, I got a notice from the second DCA, and it was clear from the get-go that it was a Zoom OA. So it's just it's sort of funny just the difference in way some of the DCAs are approaching this. Maybe uh, maybe a bit hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. From the fifth. I mean, that, that, that could be it, I guess. They're, you know, play, playing the uh, optimistic card. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've only done uh, Zoom OAs in the second. So, like you said, theirs are fairly clear right out, right out of the gate that it's going to be by Zoom. And one thing that all the DCAs do, to my knowledge, is a technical rehearsal. And I haven't heard people talk about this too much, but if for anybody who hasn't done one, usually the, the clerk reaches out to you in advance of your OA date and sets a time for you to attend this technical session. And um, the D, the second DCA does it as a as a group session, like everybody who's going to be on that day logs into the same time. I, I know you've done that because I think you and I were on the same one, right. but um the the fifth DCA does a sort of an individual tech session where you log in with just the people for your case. So they seem to have more of a technical limitation on their system. I'm not sure why as to how many people log in at the same time. They even they even schedule their arguments for set times, 
you know, uh, there's a nine o'clock and a 10 o'clock and an 11 o'clock as opposed to the second DCA where sort of everybody logs in at the same time. But um, I don't know how you felt about the tech rehearsal, but I thought that that was, I thought it was excellent. I, I agree. I mean, I, I think that uh, even if you've gone, uh, even if you've had three OAs through, by Zoom, you should go every, every, every single time to the tech session. I mean, I learn a little bit something new every single time. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, we're, they're always pushing out Zoom updates and things, you know, change on your computer and whatever. And I think it's it's just a good idea, even if you've been to one. I mean, the second DCA clerk will tell you, look, if you don't want to come, don't come. We, we won't be offended. Right. <laughs> but I think I would still go, you know, just to just for that extra level of comfort that I know what's going on. Things haven't changed. So I, I highly recommend the tech rehearsals. I mean, I almost view those, if in my instance, I almost view those as the travel. You know, when I used to have to travel up to the OAs, there was that sort of downtime to think about things, et cetera. And yeah, we're, we're not really practicing OA, but uh, it's still going through the motion on the day of when anxiety is high. Uh, you want to make sure your computer works, especially if you've changed locations between the last time you did OA and this time, which I actually did recently when I was using my wife's office at the house for for two set of OAs and then recently created a new office space for myself. And the, it's the same computer, but still wanted to make sure nothing had changed tech wise. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and I think, you know, especially uh, the way the second does the tech rehearsals with uh, everybody on at once, it was kind of cool that, you know, I got to see you on the zoom and other people that I knew. So it's almost like a lawyer's lounge. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a great description of it. That's a, although I have to tell you there, there's a, uh, uh, you have to be careful uh, to pay attention to the uh, emails that come out regarding that because the 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 emails related to the tech rehearsal come out fairly close to the emails that you need to register for the actual day of Zoom rehearsal. And I know there were time there was at least one oral argument where I thought I had forgotten to register for the actual day of. For, for the Zoom OA, and I thought I only had registered for the uh, tech rehearsal. And the reason I thought that is because at five or six o'clock the day before the OA, I didn't have a link for the OA. <laughs> and, and come to find out the next morning when, when I was kind of panicking a little bit uh, and emailing the clerk who was great about it, uh, it, it apparently was on their end. They, I had registered, but uh, they never sent the link to me for whatever reason. But just be careful. You know, those links, they come in and make sure you, you, you put those on your calendar because you, you probably have already set your OA on your calendar by that point. And, and I would highly recommend making sure that when you finally get the link and make sure you get the link before OA. But when you finally get it, drag and drop it into your calendar invite so you have it right there. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's that's good advice. I was also thinking about, you know, from the client's perspective, you know, the, all the DCAs, to my knowledge, have been streaming OAs for a while. So I've always sort of t told the clients, look, you know, you could travel to the courthouse if you want to. I'm always a little bit hesitant because I don't really want them bothering me much <laughs> when I'm in my head on, on OA day. But I always tell them, look, you're not going to miss anything. You can always watch it later. And now it's even more accessible if they really want to watch it live streaming. I think they're all a uh, live stream on YouTube now. I think all the DCAs. So uh, I always make sure that they have a link to the client has a link to the 
to the live uh, broadcast and tell them you can watch it live or, you know, it, it will be there. You can watch it at your convenience later if you want to. You know, you're not going to miss it. That's actually a good point. I, I, I probably should tell them that it, it is available later, too. I, I, I forget to, that, that it is it's usually available by that Friday, according to uh, the clerk's office. But uh, I like you, I advise them. I, originally, I was always trying to discourage them from coming, not because I, I didn't want them there necessarily. It's just not necessarily a, a rewarding process for the client to sit in the audience and see all these potentially adverse questions posed that may not have any impact on the ultimate decision of the case. But um, it helps with debriefing, I find, to have them watch the YouTube video. And then you could say, well, you, you saw the questions. <laughs> uh-huh. you, you could see where they're probably leaning. Uh, so that, that certainly has helped uh, that part of the uh, uh, managing client expectations as well. Definitely. Now, one of the things I noticed being on the the technical rehearsal for the second DCA with all the lawyers, as I noticed, there, despite the fact that we harp on these things a lot, and you know we won't go into a whole lot of detail because you can you can watch all sorts of CLEs about how to make your your backgrounds better and that sort of thing. But it does amaze me that we're eleven months into this pandemic now, and there are still lawyers who are sophisticated enough that they're doing or zoom oral arguments that still have kind of a bad setup, you know, poor lighting, poor backgrounds, you know, poor camera angles, all those things are so easy to fix. I would just encourage people to, you know, just pay some attention to that. Um, just sometimes just tilting down your camera makes a world of difference or a little bit more light. <laughs> what amazes me is the ones that do it from the uh, conference room. Where you, they're like little peons in the back of the conference room, and there's this big old view of the conference room, and you can't see anything. And I, and I love the uh, uh, clerk and marshal. They're they're typically like, "Well, sir or ma'am, you know, why don't you move a little closer so they can actually see your facial expressions yeah. <laughs> and such?" I mean, uh, I think that's important. Is is just like an oral argument. They they got the whole point of having the zoom thing is to be able to see people's faces and connect with them. So if they can't, if you can't make out their face and they can't make out your face, then you're not doing it right. You need to fill the screen. You need to be clearly visible, right? Uh, Otherwise you might as well just be on the telephone. Right. Right. Exactly. Certainly you don't want it to be as if you're in uh, uh, witness protection or anything like that, where, where it looks like you're, uh, you know, in the dark room or whatnot. Today's show is sponsored by Court Surety Bond Agency, the nation's leading surety agency specializing in supersedious bonds. If you have a client needing to stay enforcement of a judgment in Florida or any other state or federal court, contact CSBA. They can be reached at 877 877- and their contact information is always in the show notes. I'm thrilled to have a great company like CSBA as a longtime sponsor of the podcast. CSBA is a national agency that sits with court bonds all over the United States, but has extensive experience in Florida. I suggest you take a moment, visit their website, courtsurety.com. It's full of valuable resources, including a state-by-state guide to appeal bond requirements and a comprehensive FAQ on collateral, underwriting, and the application process. The next time a client needs a supersedious bond, please give Court Surety Bond Agency a call. These folks are experts in this area. They'll guide you and your client through the process, giving you one less thing to worry about. 
Now, there are two two more advanced topics on this. Uh, I didn't want to just talk about, you know, don't face a window and that kind of thing. But there are two things that I think have not been talked about as much. Um, one is the use of headphones. Now, um, you and I are on a video chat and we've been on meetings before. So I know you were an a advocate of using a headphone uh, for Zoom. And I generally don't. So, so tell me your thoughts on, on the headphone. Well, you know, honestly, I if I hadn't had the experiences of working with you on podcasts, I probably would be an anti-headphoner. But you had convinced me that the sound quality is tremendously better uh, using a headset. And, and the, the one that I am currently wearing is one that you recommended, but it's actually not the one I use when I'm doing oral argument, uh, I use a different one that I use on more on a regular everyday basis because it also connects to my cell phone and stuff like that. But uh, um, again, I think it really comes down to making sure the sound quality is better, both directly from what you're saying, going right into the microphone, but also it cuts out all the extraneous noise. It makes it both for yourself. If your dog barks or, the mailman comes and or, or, or the, the lawn people are outside, et cetera. It, it, it reduces that distraction both for yourself and for those listening, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I, I would say that I sometimes the, the I think that the, the headset that you use is is very appropriate. Um, and a lot of people use something that's, you know, fairly low profile. I do think the the really large over ear you know, type headphones like a gamer type headphone or something that's got a big uh, low company logo on it. You know, it's clearly like a gaming headset. Or I do think that's a distracting look, right? If it's if it's too big, if it's if it's something that really calls attention to you know, you look like you're wearing earmuffs. That's probably a little bit of a distraction to the court. So the one you're wearing now would be a distraction. Podcasting <laughs> <laughs> headphones are big for sure. <laughs> That's why that's why I only do audio yeah. <laughs> for parts. That's great. That's great. Yeah, no, I, I could I could see your point there. I think a lot of people use um air what do they call them? AirPods, right? The Apple products. AirPods. Uh, yeah. I don't have yeah. a pair of those, so I, I don't know how, how great they are, but a lot of people do use them, I think. And not that I'm advocating them because you're not they're not your sponsor. But <laughs> I uh Another thing, and this might be a little bit of overkill, <laughs> but one one thing I decided to do uh, with my home, uh, I'm working from home, uh, with my home OA setup was to build in some redundancy on my power supply because we have some, you know, little glitches in the power here every once in a while, and uh, that can wreak havoc on your setup because uh, if it's enough of a glitch to put your cable modem out, then the, the cycle time, you know, to get back on the internet is, you know, three or four minutes, something like that. So I actually have a UPS with a gone uninterruptible power supply, basically a big battery uh, that sits under my desk. And I plug into, I plug in just the essential things, the things that are essential to uh, the internet uh, access you know, the, the computer, uh, the monitors, uh, that sort of thing, not like my printer or you know, anything like that. But I haven't noticed, um, that it's saved my bacon yet, but, um, about a 70 or $80 investment that I felt like I'm taking away one more weak spot, you know, potentially on my setup. So I, I, I'm, I'm happy about that. 
You know, that's interesting. I, I would have never thought to do that. So you've just taught me something. I'm sure you've taught the listener something. Probably more so than the power that I'm always concerned about is the internet going out. I mean, I I have not had the experience, the privilege yet of losing internet in the middle of it. Uh, but I uh, I know it's probably only a matter of time because my internet at times is spotty. But I do have a MiFi, so I can quickly. I do usually have that that the firm provides, so I usually can can quickly if I need to fire that up and hopefully save the day. <laughs> Well, you know, I've told you I did have a loss of internet, and that's later in my outline. We will talk about <laughs> what happens when things go horribly wrong, right? <laughs> that's for sure. The other thing, I interestingly, I have a checklist that I use for um, Zoom OAs or any sort of uh, important, you know, Zoom hearing. And one of the things is to there are a number of things I do to eliminate distractions. You know, I um, I turn my desk phone ringer off. I turn my phone off, of course, and my watch, which tends to ding all the time. Sometimes you hear that on the podcast. Uh, if I forget, I actually have a, uh, electronic doorbell that I turn off and I unplug the, the landline on the house phone, which, you know, we never answer that anyway. <laughs> but, you uh, have one. <laughs> it, yeah. There's like a series of things that I do to, uh, eliminate distractions. The only thing I can't, the only distraction I can't quite eliminate is the dog. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> if the UPS package comes, there's going to be trouble, but, right. uh, what, what, uh, do you have any, any prep that you do like that? You know, uh, yeah, I do. Maybe not quite as thorough as you, as you, um, I mean, I, I, I primarily, you know, my, my, I'm upstairs, so I keep the dog and everybody downstairs in my house. Um, cause I'm still working remotely and probably will be for a while just because that's the way our firm is setting up now. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, uh, I shut the door. I think the headphones that we just talked about helps reduce the, the distractions. Uh, but other than that, no, there's probably, uh, well, that's not true. I also will turn like a fan or a noise machine on in the background that will help diminish, um, some of that, but I, and I don't think that anybody can hear it when it's on. So, um, that's about all I do in terms of trying to reduce the distractions. Sometimes my wife, if she's home, will take the dog outside <laughs> and they'll work outside for a little bit, but I'm basically kicking her out of the house, I guess, in that point. So I try not to, I only do that if she volunteers. <laughs> It's funny. There are some distractions, you know, that are related to being at home that we didn't have when we were in the office. You know, if you if you or your neighbor has a lawn service, you know, and they're coming by the window that you work at or my neighbors have been uh, renovating a pool for the last two or three months. It feels like a year, but I think it's only been two or three months. And, you know, so sometimes there's things that, that you just can't environmental type things that you can't avoid. Although the lawn service could be a problem at the office too. I was actually on a, a zoom call yesterday where the opposing council had a lawn guy literally right behind him in the window. And I couldn't hear him. I can only see him, but uh, it was certainly bothering oppo opposing council. Cause he kept looking behind like, why won't this guy go away? <laughs> See, I'm on the 29th floor, so my biggest hazard is uh, window washers. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> you know, another thing that I think it's important to pay attention to, in you know, when we're talking about just sort of the setup and getting ready, is your Zoom settings. And uh, the second DCA has been pretty good about 
sending you a document that tells you what Zoom settings they recommend. And I recommend taking that seriously. One important one uh, is to set up your settings. And I think this is just good practice generally, so that when you enter a meeting that your camera is muted and your mic is muted, so that you have to take uh, affirmative action to you know, uh, show yourself at the meeting. Uh, I think that's probably a good practice generally uh, to to make sure that you you know what you're what you're sending because uh, they they described uh, the court described in the last episode an issue where somebody accidentally popped into the courtroom and their camera was on and their mic was on all that stuff is easy to just um, you know changing your Zoom settings in advance. Yeah, no, I mean, and I leave them on even for regular everyday Zoom meetings because you know you attend a bar function. It's just better to uh, leave it on, leave, leave it, leave your video off so that you don't just sort of jump into the meeting. It's it's almost like knocking at the door. You don't want to, you don't want to just storm in. You got to kind of wait till you're into the meeting, maybe knock on the door, so to say, and then, then you turn your video on. Uh, that's the way I kind of imagine it from a live versus the other way. Another thing I do to prep is uh, to make sure, you know, every Zoom invitation that you get always has, uh, you know, landline or telephone dial-in instructions, right, for for people who are not appearing by video. And depending on what court you're in, I, I think all of them to some extent will make it clear to you that that's a, that's a backup, you know, access point. If something goes wrong, at least you can dial in. and. So I alluded to this earlier, but this is one of the this is an experience that I had um, at the uh, at the fifth DCA not too long ago. My I was in the midst of my argument. I was the appellant, and I was about five or seven minutes into the argument, and my internet went out, and I, I still don't know exactly why. Um, you know, it went out briefly. And I was just arguing, and then I was gone. You know, I was just blown right out of uh, Zoom. And I got to tell you, Chris, <laughs> that's a little bit of a shocking, uh, <laughs> that's uh, a little bit of a shocking experience. I can't imagine. <laughs> I I tried uh, to log back into Zoom first, and still didn't have internet access to get in. And so I decided I needed to revert revert to my emergency uh, telephone procedure. And then realized that my desk phone is also voice over internet protocol. It's a VOIP phone, so that phone was not working, which is my nice quality speakerphone. Um, so then I wound up actually calling in on my cell phone uh, and putting my cell phone on speakerphone and finishing my argument that way. Um, the court was very accommodating. Everybody understood. They wound up giving me some more time, you know, in my argument and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, I always thought, well, that will never happen. <laughs> and it did. And I don't think it happens a lot. But you do have to be prepared for that. And one of the things is, um, you know, the it's so much easier to get into those numbers if you have the email handy with the one-touch link that you just touch on your email and you know, bring bring you right in without having to dial in the access codes and conference codes and all that kind of stuff. So I I think that's something that now I will keep make sure that I keep sort of surfaced on the top of my phone as the uh, is the dial in. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I I typically print off a copy, but I also the morning of will go back and and re forward the email to myself so that it's at the top and or 
make sure it's in my calendar invite so I can quickly access it. It was interesting because I was able to go back later, you know, and watch the uh, the YouTube recording and see what happened when I got blown out <laughs> and what, what was talked about in my absence, <laughs> which was basically the weather, you know, <laughs> but again, you know, it's, and it, it, it seemed like forever to me uh, on my end, but when you watch the video recording, it's, it's not forever. You know, I was back in and five minutes, maybe, uh, maybe less, but um, I will say that my experience has been the court is very accommodating for that kind of stuff. You know, nobody is going to hold a technical issue against you. So that's not something that we should be worried about. I mean, obviously you don't want to have them and you want to be prepared and it's not an excuse not to be prepared, but you know, when something crazy like that does happen, uh, the court, the court will work with you. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they, the court is very forgiving and they themselves have some issues. Cause I had an OA the other day, um, where it's funny they i i was fourth on the docket and so i i showed up early which as an aside we didn't really talk about this but especially if you miss the um the uh pre-setup or the tech rehearsal at least the second dca allows anybody who's on any of the dockets whether it's the nine o'clock or the 11 o'clock docket to show up at nine o'clock and do a test run again and even if you're at the later 11 o'clock docket, and even if you've already gone through the tech rehearsal, I recommend doing it that morning and just leaving it on in the background because then you're you're in, you don't have to worry about it, et cetera. So that's what I did. And, and I left it on mute and I walked downstairs to make myself a, a snack and they start court. And then all of a sudden I hear uh, one of the judges say, wait a minute, we've got, can, nobody can see me or something like that. I mean, they were having some issues. <laughs> <laughs> so even the court has issues. <laughs> that's probably why they're very forgiving. In there. Yeah, that's right. They're 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 going through the same thing, except they're doing it even more often than we are. Right? <laughs> very true. Very true. <laughs> you know, one of the last things I do, um, or not necessarily last chronologically, but is um, to prepare for an OA is to especially when it's in a court that I haven't been in or haven't been in much, is to go to their OA channel and watch some OAs, uh, you know, some recorded OAs just to see kind of what they look like, you know, and to get a feel for how their process works because they are a little bit different. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 well, like I said, most of my OAs are in the second, so I don't do that at least as part of my preparation, uh, before that oral argument. But I think that's probably great advice to do, especially if you're in a court, you're not regularly in front of, because it's kind of like attending the morning of, or even going up the the morning before the, 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 you know, going up and watching an oral argument the, the day before or whatever, if something's set just to kind of see how the judges, you know, are they a hot bench? Typically, are they a, uh, not a hot bench, et cetera, especially if you can find that combination of judges that you're going to have. Which the farther we get into this, the easier that will be to find. Although I find they're not as searchable. They're not indexed well, but, um, yeah. you know, with a little bit of perseverance. You can find it. Although one thing I have found is, uh, and I don't know how many people, I, I certainly wasn't doing this before the pandemic, but after OA and after the decisions come out and when somebody tries to move for oral art or excuse me, moves for rehearing, I have gone back and cited to the, the, the YouTube video that's posted on the court's website as evidence of, yeah, you know, we've 
thoroughly covered this at oral argument, you know, or, or to, if I was actually moving for rehearing to say, well, at oral argument, one of the judges said this, but here's where that's, that doesn't seem to be the case because of this fact or whatever in the record, or this, this, what the happened in the, in the, in, in the case that we were talking about at oral argument. In other words, I've used that to my advantage in post opinion uh, motions. I don't know if it, if it's effective, yeah. but <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing how, and, and and I guess this predates the pandemic still, uh, by a little bit, but, you know, it used to be, it wasn't that long ago that if you wanted, a, a, even when they started videotaping oral arguments at the second DC, if you wanted the argument, you had to email the, the marshal and get her to mail you a DVD <laughs> of the argument. It certainly is a different dynamic now when these things are so easily, uh, readily available. It's It's really pretty cool. It is pretty cool. I agree. Now, what about the day of the argument? Um, you know, one of the interesting things I think about doing uh, arguments remotely is it, it's a little bit more flexible in some sense. You know, I had a whole routine when I went to which out in our uh, away workflows before the before times away workflows. I had a whole routine about what I would take with me to oral argument. And it wasn't very much. Um, it was usually, I might have a notebook with the briefs in it that I would leave at the council table. And I would have a notebook with just a few pages and some critical things in it that I would take to the podium with a, with a pen and a pad of paper. Uh, because, you know, I didn't want to be looking at it all the time. I didn't want the distractions and that sort of thing. Um, being at your desk, uh, and having, you know, just this narrow range of, of video certainly opens up a lot of possibilities as to what we can have at our fingertips for OA. Um, how has this changed any of the way you, you prep or you, you deliver your OA being on uh, video? It has. And I, I, I'm still sort of ironing out the new process, I guess you'd say, <laughs> um, because, you know, it, it, harping back to our original conversation and in, in, in the oral arguments workflow, my prep stuff actually started the night before because I'm down in the Naples area and I have to travel. So I had a whole, uh, a whole regimen that I did even the night before, including, you know, you drive up at a certain time and go try to relax by having a nice meal and, you know, maybe, maybe a beer or something just to kind of calm the nerves while ca casually reviewing your notes, et cetera. And I was th this last oral argument I had, which was two weeks ago. I said, I, I we were, my wife and I were walking the dog about seven o'clock at night. And I was like, well, this is one advantage is I don't have to travel anywhere. We can go and have <laughs> a nice sleep in, bed. Yeah, no. sleep in my own bed. Uh, no. and, and I, it, and in some respects, I find myself not preparing into the evening because I don't have a two and a half hour drive. I can prepare until five or six or whatever and then call it a night and then wake up early the next morning. I still wake up early like I, I would regularly. And in, in that respect, the actual morning of preparation hasn't changed. I still try to get a good breakfast in. I still try to practice it in front of actually I don't practice it in front of a mirror. I actually turn on the zoom feature that allows me to see myself sure. and I watch yourself on zoom. Yeah. yeah in front of to try to get at least two runs uh, in. Uh, but in terms of the, this, you know, what all I 
bring to the podium, so to say. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's- well, hold on. You, you backed up a little bit. So let me, let me sure. respond to, to that part. Um, I, I agree with you. I think that that, I, I find that too, that it's, um, you know, it is a time saving, uh, knowing that you don't have to travel because I'm always a person who leaves way too early and arrives way too early and that sort of thing. So it really does free up your, you know, if you have a 10 o'clock argument or a nine thirty argument, you know, you can get up at a reasonable hour and still have three hours to get your thoughts together and prepare, you know, so that is that, that not having to travel, even just for me having to drive to Tampa from Clearwater to Tampa, that's, that's, you know, makes your day a lot less stressful, I think. Um, and yeah, I kind of do the same thing about, um, especially, uh, the morning of, I will do some rehearsing, uh, I'll open up a zoom, you know, I'll just have a meeting of one, you know, where I'm just sort of watching myself, uh, on the video just to, again, verify how everything looks, you know, how's my suit look, how's my tie tied, you know, that sort of thing. And try and practice making eye contact with myself, you know, to, to make sure that I'm doing that. So yeah, it is, it is, um, that is a lot different, but, um, yeah. So, um, Back to the the actual argument itself. How how are things different for you? Well, the uh, the arguments themselves. So I I still well okay. So I, I've gotten a little bit lazier. I guess you'd say. I mean, I, I, I used to. I think yeah. Right. I mean, that's kind of that's fair. I mean, mm-hmm. I, if you go back to the workflows, I, I basically took. I had an iPad, and, and that's what I took up to the podium, and on the iPad. The record was probably there, but I didn't have it open. The uh, uh, we I would have little summaries of the of some of the main cases um, as one of my tabs because I used Good Notes, uh, and uh, the other tab would be an outline that would usually be no longer than two pages, maybe, uh, and it was color coded. Well, I still have the outline, but it's somehow has grown to a couple more pages. <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little more detail <laughs> probably shouldn't have I, uh, uh, because then it may it gives you a tendency to want to read when, which is, is no less engaging in person than it is by zoom. Uh, and, mm-hmm. but I will say that my case, I, my case summaries, uh, aren't longer, but maybe I'll have a few more. And I, I actually will try to put the actual cases there bookmarked so that if I need to get in, and of course the cases will be highlighted appropriately as well so that if i need to actually get into one of the legal authorities and this is true whether it's a case or a statute uh i can go to it and and we can have a conversation with it right and and that has worked at least in one argument where i needed to actually get into the weeds into a case and and can say well i mean this case right here says blah 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 i probably wouldn't have had even though I would have had it on my iPad, I probably wouldn't have had it so readily available at oral argument because you're fumbling, trying to switch tabs, et cetera, versus having two or three screens up and, uh, you know, you got the cases on one. And even even on the screens up, I've got usually uh, uh, two set of documents on one screen because I have really big screens. <laughs> so uh, I can have multiple mm-hmm. windows open at the same time and see them all very easily with just a glance. The key is trying to maintain eye contact <laughs> with that camera. Right, right. Well, so I will tell you, I, 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 I guess calling it lazy is a is a little pejorative, but I tend to agree with you. It, 
I think it's it's easier in the sense, right? There's my my practice when I was in person was always I would get my outline. Uh, the only thing I hoped to look at during oral argument was an out, a two page outline that I would put in a notebook with facing pages, so that when I opened it up, I have both pages right there, and I should never have to flip a page, and I should never have to do more than you know glance down. And I have found now that I don't spend the time to do that. Uh, to to really get that condensed down because instead I have my slightly more detailed outline and I put it into a PDF and I bookmark it right with the, with the different argument sections. So it's really easy to jump around and I have that open on my screen. Generally I have, uh, I have two screens that are 24 inches each and I'll have that on one screen. And then I'll usually have, I'm really not even using all of my screen real estate really. Cause what I'll do is I'll float the zoom window with the judges in it, you know, either, either on the left edge of the right monitor or maybe rolling over a little bit under the left monitor, because I'm trying to, uh, I, I'll put my, I have a camera that's mounted on top of the monitor. I'll put it on the leftmost monitor, but scoot it all the way to the right side. So it's of that, monitor. So I'm sort of, you know, when I'm looking at, at the middle, uh, I'm making the best eye contact. And then it's really very easy at that point to, uh, to read from, or, you know, consult with your outline, giving a pretty good approximation of eye contact, you know, because I'm only a couple degrees off of the camera and I'll, I'll keep my mouse, which has a scroll wheel on it. Uh, under my right hand constantly during the argument. And I'll just keep scrolling it up so that I'm reading. I mean, actually only reading from or consulting with trying to read word for word, but you know, uh, with the top uh, half of the document at any given time. So that I'm not even looking towards the bottom of the monitor. I'm looking at towards the top of the monitor and it really, I've tested that and it gives a very good approximation of what looks like eye contact to the judges. And so I, that has definitely um, that's definitely a marked improvement. You know, if you're if you're looking down at your notes at a podium, you know it's very clear what you're doing. Where when you're looking at your notes on a screen, it's not so clear. Now, on the the flip side of that is if you're looking at your notes on your desk during a Zoom argument, you're really looking down, right? I mean, that's that part of it is worse, right? Uh, you know, if you're really working off of a yellow pad, um, I think that's worse. But if you're willing to roll with the technology and use the monitor uh, properly, uh, I think it's much better. I agree. And what you just described is very similar to to my sort of setup as well in terms of where I position my camera. It's on the left screen, but a little bit over to the to towards the middle. And I too try to uh, uh, continue scrolling so that my view of the outline is as close to the camera as possible. Uh, and, but and I and I try not to have anything that I need to look down in front of me on, but I do have my iPad there still sitting in front of me, maybe on a different page so that I don't have to try to fumble for something. If I know, you know, that I know maybe will will come up and I can just quickly look down and say, Oh yeah, X, Y, and Z, or maybe I'll have a sticky note or so on it. Cause you, you remember me from the last uh, presentation, I think uh, uh, our last PowerPoint we did on this, having sticky notes for things that pop up that the other side says, or somebody questions could be very helpful. My only change mm-hmm. to what you said was is that uh, in terms of my notes, I don't put those in PDF. 
And the reason I don't is, and this actually worked to my benefit in the uh, last OA, is that I was able to add to my outline on the fly during opposing counsel's presentation because I could make Mm -hmm. changes easily through Word. But I still have essentially bookmarks in the navigation pane, if you're familiar enough with Word to know what I mean, um, that whereas, as long as you're using some of the uh, styles, like heading styles, then it'll show up just like bookmarks Word. So that allows me to still move around the document if I need to. Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought about using Word in that way. Yeah, that is, that is definitely an advantage. I mean, even with the, the PDF software that I use, I could annotate it uh, with text without too much problem, but it's definitely easier. Word is definitely easier if you want to change anything, you know, sort of uh, on the fly. I can see that definitely. But one of the other things that I myself have struggled with at times is because of how we set that up with the uh, the, the judges kind of maybe off to the left a little bit or maybe off to the right or something to that effect, but you're trying to maintain eye contact, but still kind of see them in the, in the peripheral is uh, what to do when they ask a question. Because your initial instinct is to look over at them. <laughs> and at which point in time, you're not really looking at them. <laughs> I mean, you're looking at them, but they don't know you're looking at them. You look like you're looking off to the side. And I, I do struggle with that at times to remember that when they're questioning, look at the camera uh, so that you're engaged with their question. Yeah, and that that is why I float that window as far as I can. Usually when you minimize that window, it's sort of a it's a very vertical, you know, it's like a photo strip, you know, like four four up and down. And I'll float that as far as I can to to towards the middle so that at least if I'm looking at them, I don't look like I'm looking totally off to the side. But yeah, that is that is, you know. That's part of it, right? As you're as you're trying to create that illusion that you're talking to me and I'm listening to you, it's just something you have to pay attention to, I guess. Right. The other thing I'll say is that I do, and I I never I never refer to them, but like it's like the notebook that I bring with me that sits on council table uh, when we're doing these things in person. That's like the security blanket notebook. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, things would have to go fairly bad for me to leave the podium and go get that notebook. But I guess if I'm an appellant, I, I can look at it before before my reply or my uh, rebuttal. But uh, but it's kind of a safety blanket. Right. My, now, my safety blanket is sort of strewn across my desk. Right. I'll have a, a, some various papers in different places around my desk or maybe taped to the wall next to my desk where I don't expect to have to look at them, but if things are going so far south that I have to, then I'm just going to have to look at them, you know? And, and my intention even then is not to set them on the desk in front of me and look down, but to, you know, sort of hold it up to the monitor so that I'm still, to the extent I'm looking at it, I'm still in some approximation of looking at the camera, you know, but, but again, things will have started to, if I have to do that, things will have started to go south. So, you know, you do the best you can right. in those instances. <laughs> Another interesting thing about Zoom, and I think we, we all know this uh, when we're in person, but I think we, we have to really make an effort to watch the, you know, the interruptions and the overtalk because the judges will still interrupt us. Uh, and I think we have to really be cognizant of staying on top of, you know, stopping whatever we're saying and and paying attention to that because there is a little, I don't know if it's a delay or something, but it does seem like it's 
it's easier to talk over somebody on Zoom than it is in person. Yeah, I mean, the advantage of Zoom is that it it decreases the problem that problem when you would be doing it on the phone, but it's still not perfect. I mean, because you 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 still end up. I don't know what it is. You still end up kind of talking over each other. Now, I'm pretty sure that you sit at a desk like I do when you do oral argument, but I do see people who stand. Do you have any any thoughts on standing versus sitting for remote OA? You know, I have uh, struggled with that a bit. I, I know that there's, I know that you're probably better and more presentable, more persuasive, probably on your feet. But that's only true if you're not distracting. <laughs> and, and somebody like me, right? I know that I will move. I, I have never been able to stand still. <laughs> I, I, I remember when I was in high school doing drama, my drama teacher would always say, why are you rocking? You're always rocking back and forth. <laughs> and I know that I would do that as well. So I just sit. And, and for one reason, I know that's one reason why I sit. The other reason why I sit is because it's a long time to stand for 40 minutes. I mean, it'd be different where you're only standing at the podium when you're talking, but in a zoom, you, it's not like you can change camera angles, although it's something I've considered trying to figure out how to do that, <laughs> but you're going to be standing there the whole time. Uh, and that, that only feeds into my first problem that I would then start rocking or, or, you know, it's harder to control my, uh, things that just naturally happen that I don't think about. <laughs> yeah. I have to tell you that I, I was one of these people that originally before I did it thought I would prefer standing for argument just because that's what we're so used to. But I do notice, you know, when I was standing behind a podium for argument, I do move around. I do sometimes stand on one foot, you know, I do some of those things, um, that, uh, you know, is probably distracting to the audience, but not to the court, <laughs> you know, but as I've watched people who are standing on oral argument, I find it, it can be a little bit distracting because they do move around much more. And I think that's emphasized. I don't think you notice that in person um, when you're, when the, and especially the judges, when they're 20 feet away from the podium and you're not filling their whole field of view, I don't think that that's as noticeable. But I think on Zoom, it, it is noticeable. And I, I, I have easily adjusted to uh, arguing from a sitting position. I think it would feel weird in a courtroom. But uh, I've, I've easily adjusted to it and, and much prefer it now to just uh, sit, in front of my, uh, sit in front of my camera. Yeah. I mean, I think on a whole, I agree. It's funny. I have given some thought, especially I mentioned a minute ago that I have created a, a new office that I'm still sort of putting together in my house, but I've given some thought <laughs> to getting a big screen TV and a podium and a camera that sits on the big screen TV and trying to recreate the courtroom experience, even with a green screen in the back. Uh, but it, I keep going back down, going back to, do I really want to stand for 40 minutes? <laughs> and, and, and so even if I had the ability to do that, I don't think I, I would like that too much. Another thing that I've noticed by watching arguments is um, how distracting it can be when the attorney who is not actively arguing is moving around. Um, I watched one the other day uh, where uh, the, the 
the person was was moving around. They were looking at things off screen. A couple of times they stepped away from the camera to to do something else or check something else. I think at one point they might have been getting something out of a box or whatever. Um, that is super distracting. Like you wouldn't do that in the courtroom. In the courtroom, you'd sit at counsel. Maybe you'd go through a three ring binder or something. But I, even in a courtroom, I wouldn't see you turning your chair around, digging through a file box. You know, that would be, and it probably still less distracting in a courtroom than it is on Zoom when your little box is there and the judges are seeing all this. I, I find it to be very distracting. So I, I think people really need to pay attention to, you know, facial expressions and that kind of stuff too, of course, but just, just the moving around and the distraction is um, is a real thing. Yeah, I think you and I were watching the same uh, OA on that one. I think that was one of the one of them in, in, on the day I had OA too. But I mean, that was uh, it was certainly uh, distracting. I mean, at one point the guy turned completely around. <laughs> he saw his like top of his head from the backside, you know, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a little distracting. But I mean, it's just it, it's just like they tell you, you know, in live scenarios, you should sit there with your hands crossed, just listening to the, uh, or next to you, listening to the other side's oral argument. Don't make facial expressions. Don't do anything that would draw away from opposing counsel's argument because you want to win on the merits, not on trying to distract the court from what he's saying, because it's not going to work. It's just going to tick them off. <laughs> yeah. Unprofessional. Well, Chris, I think, you know, uh, I think the consensus is that Zoom OAs are, are here to stay to some degree, even even after the pandemic, even when we were able to return to a courtroom. Um, so I think these are skills. This is just going to be, you know, this is going to be taught in law school. <laughs> and this is just going to be the new normal of being an attorney is appearing. Sometimes you appear by phone, probably less and less. Sometimes you appear by video and sometimes you appear in person. And I think that's going to be the new the new normal of being a lawyer. Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, well, I think all of this is here to stay. Remote working, Zoom OAs. I think uh, I think this is the new normal. The only thing the only thing that we we could see in the future maybe is virtual courtrooms where we put on headsets and we enter a virtual a true virtual space. <laughs> but uh, hey, that would be really cool. We only have to buy a virtual suit, right? Right. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, one thing we didn't talk about is, uh, and I'll ask you, do you use virtual backgrounds or in, in green screens or, 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 or not? Yeah. So I, I am a fan of the virtual background because, um, my setup, I have a great office setup uh, in my spare bedroom, but the truth is it's still a spare bedroom and there's a bed behind me and there's a closet with a mirror you know, and things that are not, that are not ideal. So I tend to use virtual backgrounds. Um, I figure since the the courts all use virtual backgrounds that they must not be too offended by them because I, I, virtual backgrounds can be a little distracting. I think when the edges are not good or when there's, you know, a, a technical issues with it, but I will tell you, I do for important things, not for just, partner meetings and whatever, but for important things, I do have a green screen. Um, I bought a, a pretty large green screen on a collapsible frame that I put up uh, in my uh, spare bedroom uh, right behind me. And it's about 10 feet wide or something because my camera is probably wider angle than it needs to be. And yeah, and I 
in Zoom, if you have a green screen and you check that little box that says I have a green screen, it's so much more realistic. The green screen catches all the edges. You know, unless you're wearing a green shirt, there's certain things that can mess it up, right? But generally, you know, if I if I hold something up in my hand, you can see it. And, you know, it, it just, it really makes the screen so much better. Uh, it makes the effect so much better that people might not even know you're using a virtual background. So I do. And, and what background I use depends. Um, most of the time, I actually... Uh, right around the last time I was in my office, um, I took a, uh, a nice, uh, widescreen photo of my office, uh, which is, you know, like I said, around the 29th floor. So it's sort of a view of Ybor city and whatever. And I use generally use that as my background. And so people who, with a green screen, people who don't know any better would think that I'm sitting in my office. <laughs> nice way to trick your clients there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I have a green screen that I bought at Christmas time, but I have yet to actually set it up. So I, I but I do uh, also prefer the virtual uh, uh, backgrounds, particularly in court. Um, I just I, I think it's more professional, particularly because you know my office isn't completely set up yet anyway, and even if it is, this current angle would still not be the best background to, to do an oral argument with a closet behind you, <laughs> et cetera. Um, so, and in terms of the type of backgrounds, I, I actually saw a pretty cool one the other day of, uh, of the first DCA's courtroom. And it was funny cause I, 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 I it was during one of the technical uh, setups with the marshals and I, I, I asked the marshal, Hey, uh, when, when, when will the second DCA take some pictures like that, that we can download? And she was pretty quick to say, when we get a courtroom, (laughs) (laughs) which made me feel guilty that I, uh, uh, said that a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking of the Stetson courtroom, but, uh, that's a good point too. But yeah, no, I, and, and I do know that there, I believe there are some Florida court, Florida, uh, district courts of appeal that you can either send something to the uh, marshal's office of that court to ask them to send you. And then you can use one of their virtual backgrounds, or you can just sort of Google courtroom background and, and, or just use a plain one. I, I used to use one until somebody said that it, it looked like purgatory or something. It just was a blank wall with a clock on the wall and a lamp, you know, but they asked if I was uh, still living or whatnot. So, uh, I decided to stop using that one and start using a, a, uh, a courtroom look. One thing that I don't know how you feel about, I'm not a big fan of is using the marketing type backgrounds with your law firm, uh, name on it. I, I see people who do that. I find that to be a little bit gauche or, you know, just a little bit over the top. I mean, I've never been one to, you know, to cover my pleadings with, uh, you know, my law firm stationary on every page or anything like that. So maybe I'm, maybe that's just me, but I don't, you know, for some things, great. If you're doing marketing, then market. But to me, if you're in court, just, you know, a little lower key is better. I don't know. How do you feel about that? I agree. Uh, uh, I don't, we, our firm has some of those kind of marketing backgrounds. Um, I don't use it. In fact, down here in the uh, in the 20th Judicial Circuit in Collier, the, we caught wind that some of the trial judges hate them. So, I mean, they they, they find it 
inappropriate for a courtroom to have your big name plastered behind you or in front of you, et cetera. So uh, taking, I haven't heard any negative feedback from appellate courts necessarily, but you got to think that if the trial judges don't like them, then the appellate judges probably don't care for it either. Although the appellate judges have their seal in their, uh, uh, they do. So, uh, I mean, I guess there's an argument. That's a little different though, I think, but yeah. Yeah. True. That's true. But yeah. Well, Chris, thanks so much, uh, for being on the podcast and rounding out our, our OA workflows with a, you know, a, 2020 2021 update to uh the new new oral argument (laughs) happy to be on here and update that (laughs) all right i'm i'm sure we'll have you have you on again we'll we'll figure out more workflows to talk about but but thanks for being on the show sounds good thank you again Dwayne. thanks to chris donovan for another installment of our workflow series remember podcasts are never legal advice Nothing that I say or my guests say should ever be interpreted as legal advice for any particular situation. But if you're a lawyer that needs the help of an appellate lawyer, I'm happy to try and help. My contact information is always in the show notes. And please consider using our sponsor, Court Surety Bond Agency, for your client's appellate bond needs. Their contact information is also in the show notes. Please take a moment, add it to your contacts, so you're ready when your client needs a supersedious bond. The next episode will be out in two weeks. I hope that you will continue to download and listen. Thank you for considering this week's Issues on Appeal. 